Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donsley alongside my co-host, Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise Podcast is now streaming on Midtown Radio Saturdays at 10 a.m. We have a jam-packed show for you today, don't we, Evan? Yes, we do. Our topics for today's episode are our spring training review, Melvin Gordon testing free agency, Tony Romo's major deal with CBS, the Raptors clinching their seventh straight playoff berth, the future of the Golden State Warriors, Henri Richard's death, and Mika Zibinijad's big night last night. Let's begin with the MLB, of course, spring training going on right now. Of course, there's some teams that are surprising us, there's some teams that are impressing us, and there's some teams that are not, and well, certain players that are disappointing certain teams let's begin with uh, what team has impressed you the most right now looking through obviously no matter what happens in spring training it's just spring training it's all for fun nobody really plays that hard so we can't make too many um we can't make too like correct too many correct judgments based yeah. off of everything that's going on but from what i've saw uh, seen so far this spring I've been pleasantly surprised by the play of the Miami Marlins so far. I don't think they'll. I don't. Uh, they are nine and four right now, but that's because a lot of their players from last season played in the MLB because they were cycling through a lot of players. They weren't that good last year. I still don't think they're going to be that good this year. But judging based off of their spring so far, they are looking pretty good. The Jays, I think, had a really bad spring last year, and they turned out to be not so bad. So. Clearly, spring training isn't necessarily um, that a great of a, test. a true test. It's exactly. like preseason football. Like you, your team could exactly. go zero and four, and you could win twelve games during the regular season, and win a Lombardi Trophy. And I do think that, like, like obviously, you want to basically what you're saying is like when you when you're like uh, when you're a, uh, like a team and you're watching the other like when you're, like when you're a team playing in the spring league, all you're really focusing on the first two innings, first maybe two or three innings when yeah. you have the starters go in and they're gonna play. And yeah. then you have the rest of the backups play because you want to give them time. But yeah. again, you don't want to play the starters for if the you whole have, if time. If you have key players going in throughout the game, that's like kind of what you want to focus on. It's not really about the wins and losses. It's about performance of the players. And I think that's like a testament to why the Atlanta Braves are 4-8 and eight right now. Because they're not doing that well, but they're, a lot of their players are playing good. Uh, and they're obviously going to be a pretty good team this year, obviously, with the promising Ronald Acuna Jr. And still a lot of good players there, uh, including Freddie Freeman. So I think that's like, Spring training, like I was saying, is a hard, uh, a bit of a hard, uh, hard judgment of, or of what like this the next season's going to be because you can never truly tell. One player I've really liked so far this spring, and maybe my Blue Jays bias, but one player I have absolutely loved this spring so far is Nate Pearson. He has pitched I think four innings so far, and he has like seven strikeouts in those four innings. I think it's either it's either three innings six strikeouts or four innings seven strikeouts, something like that. It's ridiculous. He has been on fire this spring. Has hit. Uh, triple digits multiple times this season. Now, the radar guns uh, in spring training are a bit iffy. They don't usually uh, depict accurate accurate numbers, but still, f- for the fact that the radar guns are reading triple di- triple digits over 100 miles an hour, that is ridiculous for spring training. You don't see, you, you almost never see a player throw this hard, especially in spring training. And the fact that he's a starter, and I think that he can be a starter in today's major leagues, I am really excited for Nate Pearson in the Blue Jay system. I mean, um, there's been a lot of talk that he won't start the season with uh, the uh, the big club, which I'm fine with. Start him out in AAA, get him, yeah. get him some extra games there because last year like he, they did with Vladdy as well. Like they did with Vladdy, give him like a month down in the minors. We were talking about this uh, last week with uh, Mark, and we were saying how uh, the Blue Jays really are going to wait for a bit for, uh, with Nate Pearson and then bring him up. He probably yeah. could fit into the rotation right now, but then again, so could have Vladdy. 
body last season, I think, but they want to make sure that he is fully healthy, fully ready to make that step to the majors because, well, he is having a very good spring and has proved in uh, single and double A that he can perform in the regular season. I think uh, a lot more time in triple A to start off the season will really help improve his game, and I think we I think we will see him in the starting lineup this week. Now, you were telling me before, uh, before uh, we started today that there's one player that's kind of stood out to you so far that hasn't had the greatest start to their spring. Now, Garrett Cole, obviously, the $324 million man for the New York Yankees. Big signing in the offseason. Big signing, big, big signing. Now, uh, I was watching, I think it was on Barstool Sports, the their story. It was a video. It was like in him playing. It was the Detroit Tigers and the New York Yankees playing. It was 7-6, to six, I believe, the score. He had, had two innings pitched. Um, and he had allowed four home runs. It was a score was seven to six. Yeah. Now I know it's spring training. You're gonna have some plays, but when you have a guy who is your ace, who is your starting pitcher, who is gonna be the man that is gonna lead you to the promised land? Or I know that. And when you're paying him that much. And when you're paying him that much, I've I know he's getting three hundred twenty-four million dollar over you know whatever X number of years, but you're still paying him thirty plus million dollars right, at least. You're paying him a ton of money. A to ton play of money. And I can understand it's a lot of stress, but it, dude, it's like it's like it's spring training. You gotta perform. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, yeah. like just show uh, up Yankees, and earn your spot because if Yankees he, if he have had a lot of injuries so far, and I think that like Garrett Cole, this is kind of like he's he's making the opening roster. There's no no question about that. Oh no, yeah, but they signed him. He still him, wants so. he still wants to assert himself as that number one starter, even when uh, for when Severino and Tanaka come back from injury, I, or maybe Tanaka's not injured right now. I don't know, but Severino especially. Severino is going to be gunning for that top spot uh, in the rotation, the ace role, and I think that if Garrett Cole um, can. Uh, look better in his next com- uh, in his coming starts. I think that'll really help bolster his uh, bolster his stat line going into uh, uh, the opening season. The Yankees are a really interesting team right now because they have so many injuries. Aaron Judge, it was just announced that it is going to be at least two weeks with a broken rib. I believe. Don't know how that happened or how that came about. They've been trying to figure out what's been wrong with him for a couple couple weeks now, and they've had some other injuries. Severino's still out, and uh, it doesn't look like Stanton's going to be there for opening day. So. I'm intrigued to see how the Yankees start of the season is going to go. Obviously, they're the Yankees. They're always good. They're always going to have the best high talent, high paid players. Because the they league. all them, they have all the money in the world. They can exactly. go out and buy. They, them. they the... bought Garrett Cole for three hundred twenty-four million. Exactly. They basically said, I do remember when we were covering this story about who he was going to sign with, and saying, "Well, the Yankees got to be up there because they got a they got a bunch of money." So they, we, we all no, know there's no hard cap in the MLB. So whatever teams are the richest get all the big name players, which is why the Blue Jays signing of Fusion Ryu was so incredible in the offseason and was such a big story because the Toronto Blue Jays and um is are the Toronto Blue Jays are a smaller market team and they don't get the they're, same they're they run by the, the MSLC that like the MLSC, major, yeah. yeah the Maple Leaf Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment yeah, Group but they don't have as much money as the New York Yankees of the world or the Dodgers who get all the money from being in a big market club um but the Jays are technically even though they are in Toronto which is a big sports city they are technically on the smaller side of the market i think they are like the 24th uh 24th richest team in yeah. the MLB which is in comparison to some, that is very low. And for what the Blue Jays are projected to be and what they have been in the past, for a team that is a lot lower budget than the Yankees, than the Red Sox, than the Dodgers, they are looking pretty good this season. And they got Ryu on a very good deal, I think. So 
going forward, it's going to be a very interesting start to spring training, I think, no matter what happens. And I'm intrigued to see how the Yankees do, because I think they're going to get off to a slow start for sure. They have too many injuries. Uh, they obviously still have great players, but they have too many injuries to start off this season. And I think that that opening weekend uh, against the Blue Jays will be an interesting tell for sure. Um, and I think eventually down the line, like there's no question I think they make the playoffs unless something dra drastic happens during the season. I think they make the playoffs, but I think this start of the season is going to be a bit of slow for them going forward just because of all the injuries they're going to have to get through. It still might uh, be announced that Aaron Judge might be going through surgery for his broken rib. We don't know yet, but uh, once that is kind of released, we'll know for sure really what the Yankees opening day lineup will look like. Now I want to ask you, what team has surprised you the most through you know these 12 or 15 set of games of spring training considering if you just look at the standings and kind of looking watching through the games which team has surprised you based on the thinking of the talent they have who they would be before the season and kind of going into that seat going into the um pre or not preseason but spring training like which team has surprised you the most because the san diego padres at 10 and 2 that that's probably, yeah that's probably the most surprising figure honestly they've only played 12 games other teams have played 13 or 14 games or some yeah. teams have played 11 and 12 uh around there 11 to 12 games but three 12 games are 10 and 2 the percentage obviously uh like their runs scored was 71 runs against a 35 so a differential of 36 which is a huge yeah difference. they have the highest run differential in in out of the spring training team so far and i've really i, I really liked what they did with their offseason still think they're overpaying uh manny machado a bit too much but that's whatever it is uh, what it again ever. it is still spring training so this doesn't mean that san diego padres are the favorites to win no the World no Series no, no right that now. doesn't mean anything but it's it, but, but it's an interesting point the fact that they've only lost two games through the first 10 Ex or yeah through the first 12 games my I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be intrigued to see uh well i won't see the padre uh padres player but when i go down to see spring training i'm intrigued to watch the play of the two games i'm going to are the phillies and the red sox against the jays uh i'm intrigued to see how boston does right now because boston is currently four and eight they're dealing with a lot of injuries they, they did lose two major players they lost they are, rookie bets david lot. price they lost a lot in the offseason not only to free uh not only through trades not only through free agency but also through injuries they are not looking that healthy right now chris sale uh still might have to go through tommy john surgery it was announced which is going to be killer for their season and i'm intrigued because boston was two years ago boston uh or was it two either way, two, it was two years two ago or three when years they, when ago they, we know it was two years ago when they had that massive season it was i think they were close they were on pace it was the summer of 2018 because i remember because i was actually in boston I was at a yep. camp there, and we were talking about it. How they were on pace for 100, 100 wins, hundred yep. plus yep. wins. And they were and the they, and they were a lot of the, a lot of people were saying they were the favorites to win the World Series. And last year they kind of took a step back because it was like injuries as well as some not as much uh, pitching as they're they used did, to. Well, Chris I think Sale they had, they had a good season, they had a good but... year for what they had suffered and for what they were going through. Yes. injury wise, I do think that there was that point, and I do think that like yeah, in twenty eighteen they were one of the favorites to win. Um, so they yeah, had, they were yeah, oh, they yeah, were yeah. one of the favorites to win, and going into this season, I I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how they'll do and what that what the AL East will kind of shape out to be with with the Blue Jays, who I think will be better than some people expect, and the Yankees, who will have that slow start of the season, and Bo and Boston, who. We don't know what they could be because they could fight through the adversity and do really well with all their injuries, all their losses, or they could really flop this season. And I wonder yeah. where Tampa Bay as well is going to fit into all of that, who has looked pretty strong this uh, this spring, as well as the fact that they are looking like a very strong team uh, once this uh, season starts. Alrighty, that wraps up our MLB spring training review. 
Moving now over into the L NFL, the NFL. Melvin Gordon has supposedly he said he's going to test free agency. Uh, the question is where he's going to go and what team really mostly needs a running back at his caliber. And of course, how much is he actually worth and what is his kind of price tag? And kind of going through the different teams to kind of understand who could really use a running back. What are your thoughts on kind of where he could possibly land? And then I'll kind of share my thoughts. Before, as well. before I get into that, I was just I was just surprised that he is looking to test uh, free agency. In my opinion, because I mean, although he did just lose his quarterback in Philip Rivers, who has already said he's moving Brady on from the team. Brady could be joining him. Brady could be joining him. I don't know they've got a look. Y'all, they know. could. In they my could. mind, in my mind, I don't know why he's leaving because you do have a you have a great team and say like you don't have a good team, but you have a lot of good talent. All you, you need a is talent. a good quarterback and a good yeah. coach, and you are set. Yeah. You have um, Austin Eckler, who just I believe who just got or not yep, Austin, just. Who just he just got an extension. extension. You got Melvin like yourself, Melvin Gordon, and you got a few other receivers as well. You got um who's the um who's the I'm trying to the big the receiver that uh, the Chargers have. I can't remember his name. Like why can't I remember anyways? So yeah. they've got a, they've got a good amount of talent and Tom Brady could be coming your way, and obviously he might not be. You did lose Philip Rivers. But the question is like where he's really gonna land in kind of the teams that could really use him. I don't know, like I'm trying to find a team that could really use honestly. I wouldn't mind if Seattle picked him up because Seattle could yeah. use Seattle could yeah, use a good running that. back. Like I, I know, I know you've had you like we we lost two. Uh, Seattle lost two uh, big run like their two major major run backs to injuries last this past season. So you're coming off that. You do have Marshawn like Marshawn Lynch is on the side of the rest of the season. I think he's a UFA right technically right now. I was gonna say I don't I, think they're gonna ask your quick opinion on that. Do you think they resign him for one more year? Or, uh, like if they really need it, do you think, or do they kind of, uh, or does he retire really? Because I I think, I think yeah. honestly he provided a good boost for them, and I do think that. He gave them a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, like a lot of, I don't know, like he did, he did give them a big boost, but I do think that Seattle with the money that they have in free agents, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't discount. They did sign Greg Olson as well to one year. Yes, they could get yeah. Melvin Gordon to pair him with Russell Wilson. would be a perfect fit. That team's looking pretty solid right now. So I think Seattle could go out, should go out right now and start taking meetings with Melvin Gordon. That's kind of my unbiased opinion of a possibility where he yeah, could land. I can see that. I can see any team really using a player of uh, Melvin Gordon's talent because he is a very he is a very good player. He's a very versatile really, player. A very versatile. He can boost your offense really well. Did deal with a bit of an injury last season. Missed the uh, missed the first three weeks. Missed the preseason as well. Uh, and I mean, he is he is twenty six and he's young. And I think he could really like. I don't know who specifically could use him. I mean, realistically, I could see him resigning if they if the Chargers do go out and get a quarterback because I, I I think that would be a good fit for him if he I, stays in uh, stays in L A. And if they get a if they get a good quarterback, I think that he would stay. Uh, just because like he has a good future and because of their offense right now if they get a quarterback that could really help my question to you is like if the chargers do get a quarterback either be your be a tom brady or another free agency for like like a teddy bridgewater even because he is out in the free yeah. garden market yeah. as well do you see him Drew like do you, like uh do you see him maybe waiting to see if the, if they if they get a quarterback and then he resigns or is he is like resigns or is he just waiting for that moment because in my mind if i'm uh, Melvin Gordon. Uh, I'm always waiting for them to like. Okay, are they gonna go out and get a QB? Like they have to. Yeah. They have to go get a QB. So the question yeah. is, who's that QB gonna be? And do you want to be there? I think because Melvin. I think Melvin does wait to see what um what the chief uh char sorry 
excuse me, the Chargers can bring in quarterback wise because if he likes that quarterback, because the Chargers were the team that drafted him, and he's already said like he wants to resign uh, yeah. this off season, and the Chargers obviously love him. So I think if they can get a solid quarterback, whether that be Tom Brady or like even even if it doesn't have to be like. It can be a big name quarterback, or it can be a just a good all around quarterback, like a Teddy Bridgewater. Or if you want big names, you could go Tom Brady or Drew Brees, because like Melvin Gordon, I think could benefit from any of those quarterbacks. And if he is happy enough with the quarterback that they choose, because they're gonna have to choose somebody. But if he is happy with they uh, who they choose, I think realistically there is a pretty good shot he resigns with Los Angeles. They love him. He loves uh, he loves L.A. He's with the team that drafted him. And realistically, if the Chargers do pull this off and get a quarterback and bring back Melvin Gordon, they're looking pretty solid going into next season. I mean, I don't know about Super Bowl, but I still think they could be somewhere somewhere in the playoff hunt, wouldn't you say? Uh, definitely. I do think that if Melvin Gordon uh, were to re-sign with the Chargers, I do think with the right quarterback, they, do, uh, they are in the playoff hunt with the talent they have. Yeah, for sure. I think, like, based off of just, yeah, what they could, like, their offense will be definitely strong. Defense might have to, we'll see what happens with their defense going into the next season. But I think if they can get a good quarterback, Melvin Gordon, back with the uh, re-signing of Austin Eckler, I think they could have a really, uh, really solid offense going into next season. And, I mean, if they can tighten up on defense, then if you already have a stellar offense, then you're looking pretty good going into the playoffs. I do think the like, question is, like, if he resigns or if he signs with someone else, how much is he worth? Because in my mind, he's got to be at least probably, it's got to be like a four-year, he's probably around, I think, $12 million for me. He's yeah, at least $12 yeah, million, $12 million a year. Four-year, $48 million deal. Uh, you can get twelve million, twelve, yeah, twenty. You can get, you can, you can get twelve million dollars a year for him. I think in my mind, yeah, if Seattle, if Seattle's gonna pitch or any team's gonna pitch to sign him, oh yeah, for the sure. Browns or any, any team other could team, use him. Any team he could really use him. Player. He's a good, he's a good secondary back as well, like a second, a second or third down back as well. So I do think that's around his price tag for my mind at twelve million dollars a piece. Alrighty, moving on to some other news, uh, unrelated to football, still related, but uh, a former, obviously, former Dallas QB, Tony Romo, who's been on the sidelines as a CBC or CBS color commentator, along with Al Michaels, he just signed a massive deal at $17 million a year. I don't know how many years it was. It was like four or five years, I think. But he is now making $17 million a year. Yeah. That That is... That is it's, astounding for a color commentator. Now, it is I believe astounding. Michael Thomas, the Saints wide receiver, tweeted or he put something out saying that is way too much for a color commentator. Like some quarterbacks don't even make them like running backs don't even. I was make gonna say much. he makes a lot more than a lot of NFL, uh, NFL, NFL players, players in general. Do. Like yeah. he makes more than Melvin Gordon. I'm not Melvin Gordon. Um, uh, Todd Gurley right now, who's making yeah. I think like 15 million, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So it's insane the fact that a guy like now, granted, he is very good at his job. I he watch is very him. Good at his job, he yes. is good. You know why because he's played in the league in the in the 21st century he understands the offenses yeah. that are run today so he yeah. knows exactly he's played against these teams in the past five years yeah. he knows exactly what to do yeah. he, like he picks out every single play he's played against a lot of the guys and he knows he knows a lot of guys in the league and he's played like he's played in the modern era like you said he is used to talking about the current modern era of football where I, I think a lot of people that commentate uh in not in not just in football but in a lot of uh different sports i think a lot of the older 
like on the older side, commentators tend to stay with the sport and then don't really adapt to the new. Well, I think era. I think what they all do is like what I've noticed now that I'm getting like obviously I want to go into this business that they have like a shtick like they have a they have a thing that's about them right. Yes, like Tony yeah. Romo's thing is just getting plays right. Like he just yeah. draws exactly. Yeah. He's like I'll bet you five dollars this is like a corner fade to the end zone. Five seconds later, it's a corner fade to the end zone. Yeah, and it's like you're he like reads the game really. He well. reads the game really well. He understands the offense, but better other than other players. Other analysts like Booger McFarland, yeah. who Booger McFarland, I don't know how he has a job, but we're not going to put too much. <laughs> we're not going to talk about talking right about him. <laughs> but going back to this, is it is it too much for a colored commentator in the 21st century, or is he paid for what he's worth, for what he's bringing to CBS? And like maybe CBS, CBS is saying our games are like like the viewership on our games or on our network are increasing because Tony Romo does these games, and because a lot of football fans love seeing him go. Because I would love, oh, yeah. I love watching them. They are a great pairing. I think they're one of the best. Yeah. They were my favorite broadcast parent, I think, just under maybe actually the number probably number one, number two would probably be Joe Buck and uh, Troy Aikman. Now, like you yep. said as well, like you said, and like I said as well, he played in the 21st century. He played in the modern offense. Troy Aikman sometimes when he does his analysis or other players as well, they might not get the the, the perfect analysis because no. they they go like they go back oh like when I was playing in this yeah, day and back like, this in my like, day back in my whatever. day, but it's like. <laughs> No, well, like it, I understand what they're trying to go with, and they're trying to do what they want to do. But it's like I do feel that Tony Romo could be worth the seven. But it's still a little high, though. Even then, seventeen million, like that's maybe. I was gonna say, like maybe, I, maybe I get, ten I get, or twelve. Million. I get why Tony Romo is so highly acclaimed, and I get why he is such an incredible commentator. And some people wouldn't agree with that, but I, I think, oh, I he's think a he great color commentator. Good. Yeah, I think he's a great commentator. Seventeen analyst, million. I would say analyst is a good job. Analyst, analyst he's, he's yeah. an excellent analyst. No matter what, I think seventeen million is a bit too much for any player uh, in the NFL. I'm, I mean, some players are worth that much money, but even for a color commentator, like seventeen million, no matter who you are, is a lot of money for. Uh, I don't know how long you said the contract. So was, like, I believe it's four years, probably. Yeah. It's around. But four seventeen years, million dollars per year is absolutely ridiculous. It is a whole lot of money, and he is going to be set for life. But I was surprised <laughs> by the fact that. He took a or he wanted that like because obviously he has to have set like the market for himself right he had, he had to put himself out there and say okay this is how much I'm worth for a guy who in his career made a lot of money playing for the Cowboys he played a lot of years with the Cowboys made a lot of money why is he going in uh, why is he asking for so much money going into it as a color commentator he's already made a lot of money as he a probably player. has so much money he's probably his wife is his like his family in general is probably very rich as well exactly so why are you asking for more money in that sense because i mean yes he he deserves money for like he deserves a lot of money for what he's getting uh for what he's doing but not his 17 working, million but not 17 million i could see maybe 10 million max i think i think opinion. they were saying like when they were doing predictions before he signed the deal they were saying i think he was going to sign around 10 million dollars yeah. now reportedly espn offered him a 10 year 140 million dollar contract which is 14 million dollars a year which is incredibly long and incredibly high paid which but would be interesting it would be interesting but he didn't sign with me he was signed with cbs for like a, a yeah. shorter term higher paid deal yeah. at 17 million dollars with, with, with some with a company he's already been with with, his, well, with a company that he's built up with al michaels that he's been with uh which is i mean or yeah actually no it's not 
maybe it's Al Michaels, no, it's someone else. I think it's someone, it's not Al Michaels, it's someone else. I'm trying to remember the name that he's, that he's paired with, but I believe. Mm-hmm. Anyways, doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that it's a little too much. I probably would have only paid him $14 million, and that still would have even been high. Because most yeah. broadcasters, most broadcasters are only making like $8 million, five, six, eight million. And even Max. then, that seems a lot for a lot of commentators. I mean, uh, for the business, I get like the, a lot of the athletes are paid really well, and a lot of the management groups are paid really well. But for a commentator, for being a media personnel, I think eight million dollars is still a bit high. Depending, I mean, depending on who you are, obviously, yeah. right? If you're a higher talent guy, where you're on TV a lot, you're making a lot of you're making a lot of money. It, it's how much money you can bring in for the network. That's exactly. what's the bottom line. If Tony Romo is making millions of dollars for CBS, they're gonna say, yeah, you're worth seventeen million because exactly. we don't you to leave to go to espn so i exactly. think maybe i think that that deal from espn like that 14 million dollar a year cbs for cbs to say forces force them they're like force their hand and say you know what we'll pay you 17 and he goes yep that's all i needed so he used almost espn as a stocking horse to get uh cbs to basically to bulk up to price basically he yeah. said oh i'm gonna yeah. go to espn and then at 14 million and then it's like nope never mind i'll go to cbs at 17 because that's exactly. what cbs did because he's and used to that kind cause of because he, he's, he, he's used to that policy like yeah. that kind of it's uh, kind of a home field a home field advantage yeah. going into going into color commentary free agency there for that one but either way i think tony romo obviously deserves everything he's getting he's an incredible commentator was an incredible cowboy for when he was with them the reason why i love the cowboys and yeah Alrighty, that wraps up our NFL discussion regarding Melvin Gordon going to free agency, where he will land, and how much he's worth. And Tony Romo re-signed with CBS for an exuberant $17 million a year. Already moving now over into the NBA. The Toronto Raptors have clinched their seventh straight postseason berth. Uh, an excellent feat for the Toronto Raptors. Just behind, I believe, uh, the Rockets who are on their way to an eighth straight season. Now, the funny part of this is many, many analysts... Not us, but obviously we, we, we like the Raptors. We supported the Raptors. We supported the Raptors. They said they won't even make the playoffs. I saw a picture today. I believe how you showed me it. It was the, uh, the I think there was a bunch of other teams, even including the Nets. There was, there was a lot of preseason predictions beforehand preseason that predictions, had yeah. Raptors not even in the playoffs. Not even in the playoffs. Some like, had some like them the as Nets, a fifth seed scene. Pistons, some, some of them yeah. had a sixth seed as well. And we even made predictions as well. We're just going to point that out. We, we oh, yeah. point, I pointed yeah. them out as a fifth or sixth seed. I did not expect them to be a second nobody, seed. Nobody, I think, nobody predicted them, expected them well, to but. be 44-18, and 18, second best. They've now clinched a playoff spot through 62 games, which is fewest in franchise history, which means they've done it without the likes of Kawhi Leonard. Yes. Which but, is, which is like, even more impressive. Yes, yes. It is very impressive what they have done. And, I mean, while we predicted them still getting fifth place, uh, like, we picked them around a five seed. We, we at least predicted that they're going to be in the playoffs. That's what I was going to say. Is like, we predicted that they were going to be in the playoffs because we know this Raptors team. We know they are more than just what Kawhi Leonard was last season. And a lot of the analysts, I think, kind of ripped them off because they didn't expect the play of Kyle Lowry to still be this good at his age. They didn't expect Serge Ibaka to have Serge a step Ibaka up. To, still, uh, to be a step up. And you didn't expect Pascal to take another step. You didn't expect Norm Powell. You didn't expect the entire Raptors bench to take up. And I think really that can be attributed to not only the play of those guys that we just mentioned, but also the play of the Raptors bench. The Raptors bench, including guys like Chris Boucher, Terrence Davis, Davis Fran Van Vliet, Norman Powell. Those guys have really stepped up this season. Especially Terrence Davis, in my opinion. I was surprised he was left off the Rising Stars uh, uh, game snub. because I'm, he was definitely a snub because of the way he's been playing off the bench for the Raptors. He's been so clutch for them this year. Guys like Matt Thomas as well in there, Patrick McCaw, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. The list goes on and on of 
just players that have affected this Raptors season in such a positive way. And I think people, a lot of people underestimated them because of that. And we underestimated them a lot less than some people, but we still underestimated them. And that's attributed, that's like, that's a tribute to the fact that how good the Raptors have been this season. And I think as well, it's it's the coaching, it's the development. Oh yeah, there was oh, yeah, a stat sure. out there. I think it was the net. It was the game against the Nets when they had won their 14th or 13th straight. It was a close game, 119-118. But there was a, the amount of points that were scored by undrafted players that included Fred VanVleet, Terrence, this, yes. uh, he's like uh, Terrence Davis II, Chris Boucher, I believe, and Matt Thomas, and Matt Thomas as well. Those four players, or four or five, those four players. Combined for, I think it was like 74, 73 points or something like that. Yeah, seventy-three. Yeah, which is like, ridiculous. Which is ridiculous for undrafted players. That exactly. attributes the coaching of Nick Nurse and also not even Nick Nurse, but just the development coaches in the Toronto Raptors, the yeah. Raptors 905, MSI, like the scouting, Masai Ujiri, MSI Bobby Webster, the, the, sco- entire, like, the, the whole Raptors team. organization is just... Like, I don't, I don't want to sound like we're just giving love to, but it, you have to though. Like, come on, like exactly for you your for undrafted it. players, for four undrafted players. I know, I understand one of them has been in the league for a few years now, but of course, Terrence Davis, Chris Boucher coming in, of course, Matt Thomas. Well, yeah, if you look at if, if you break it down, like you got Fred VanVleet who went undrafted, you signed him, and then you developed him into a really good player. Chris Boucher, uh, I think, just got picked up off of. The, he was a kid from Montreal. He was a kid from Montreal, picked up by the Warriors as a hope and a prayer. Went out, won a championship with them, ironically, and then Raptors picked him up on a pretty cheap deal and have turned him into what Pascal Siakam... Like, they have taken Pasc- what they learned from Pascal Siakam's step up and kind of Pascal Boucher uh, the yeah, same way. Chris Boucher is going to be Pascal Siakam in, four, like, two or three years. Yes, that's what I'm, that's what so. I'm saying. He's, he's, he's got a very similar body type. He's a lot skinnier, but so is Pascal. Pascal's got built up now. And yep. I do think that in a few years, Pascal's probably going to be the same muscle mass maybe as, Col- as maybe not Kawhi Leonard, but Giannis. Like, it's like, it's development, right? Like, as yeah. you go on, they're going to get bigger. They're going to become more muscular. Yeah. There's more think, muscular Boucher, development. Boucher and Pascal could be uh, the next big, like, power forward center duo going into the future. Because if you treat, if, if Boucher is getting the same uh, um, improvements that Pascal is going to get, those two are going to be a scary combo. Definitely. Then you also have guys like Matt Thomas, who scouting did an excellent job picking him up out of the EuroLeague incredible three-point shooter, incredible defensive player who has just really helped the Raptors this season. I think there's one point. It was, I believe it was against the Indiana Pacers. He scored 17 points off the bench. Exactly. He's, and guess how many threes that cheap. was. There was three threes. There exactly. was three threes. He's not there were three or four threes. Either. And it was... Now, granted, I think, believe, we talked about this in the preseason. His... His three-point percentage on open jumpers is 99%, which is it, insane. It was in the Euro it was, League last year. It was year. in the it's Euro League, ridiculous. obviously. It's ridiculous. It's changed in the NBA. But still, though, like, I've seen him shoot on open jumpers. There was, like, that game, it was perfect form. It was beautiful. Like, it, it was it was think, an excellent shot form. Like forty, like, over 40% on the year this season from three. He is lights out shooting. And then also, of course, you got Terrence Davis II, who has, who went undrafted last year and has really been the talk of the Raptors season because he has been really strong. They, de- like, he didn't even have t- much time for development needed, right? They just picked him up as a hope and a prayer going into this season, and he has turned out to be an elite scorer off the bench. And I think going forward, he's going to be key for this Raptors team eventually because just he's an incredible scorer. He's great at defense and he's athletic as all anything. He is going to be the next dynamic shooting guard in this league, I think. And when guys like Norman Powell or Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry are off, he has stepped up in the big moments. And I think he's been a really underrated player in this league so far. The question is now is like how far, and I, I know we probably discussed, but like how far can this team realistically go in the playoffs 
because we have to look at the playoffs now. Now, right now, as of right now, your biggest threat is Milwaukee. That's in my mind. Your biggest threat is Milwaukee. Yeah. You've beaten Boston. You can beat Philly. You can beat Indiana. Your yep. biggest threat right now is Milwaukee. We've had close games against them. Now, yes. granted, we've had injured players, but I go back to that first time we played them. We do play them again. Well, the Raptors do play them twice, I believe, at the start of April. At Milwaukee, at home. It's at Milwaukee on thir- like Wednesday, the 1st, and then the Friday yep. is the uh, in and Toronto. We're getting, we're getting healthy again, which is a scary for the rest of the league. You have a Baku who came back the other night. Uh, Norm now- Powell, who's who dropped 37 exactly. the other night. Norm Powell, who had an incredible night, and now you're getting guys like Fred Van Vliet and Gasol almost back once those two are back fred van vliet has always been a killer now what's interesting is gasol is actually reportedly he is healthy but he's being rested because of the which is is, which is good because like you do have a big stretch coming up i believe it's a week and a half right now you have the schedule as it goes is you you are at philly home against boston home against more um Denver, and then home against the LA Lakers. And then you have Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Houston later on in April, the start of April. So those are two big stretches. If you can at least win, let's say you have, let's see, there's seven games there. If you win four, if you win half those games, that's good to me. Let's say you don't beat Milwaukee. Let's say you don't, like, let's say you beat Milwaukee once. If you beat Milwaukee once, you are giving those fans... That is, sending, fans, that is you, sending a message. That is to sending the a message league. to the entire league. If you can, like, then again, now what's interesting as well is the Bucks have beaten twice, have been have been beaten twice by the Miami Heat, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm not saying the Miami Heat could be the best. Like, I know we did talk about this last week, and we're kind of rambling on. But what I'm saying is, is that if you can win those stretches and you can beat those high-profile teams, it sends a message to the message to the league that you are for real. If you beat the Lakers, if you beat Denver, if you beat Boston, if you beat Philly, you can beat Philly. It's going to be hard to beat them in Philly, but right now they're beaten up. Yep. They don't have Ben Simmons. They don't have Joel Embiid. Tobias Harris has stepped up recently, but they have been very injured, and I think they will continue to be. You mentioned the Nuggets. They did play a really good game against them a couple yeah. nights ago. Uh, that was really close. I think if refs and if the Raptors are a bit more healthy, that falls a different way. But them's the breaks. Um, and if, like you said, they're resting Gasol right now for the playoffs, which I think is an incredibly smart play by Nick Nurse. You don't need Gasol right now. You have Ibaka back, which is good. You have the big men and Pascal and Boucher. You are fine. You don't need a guy like Mark Gasol right now. You didn't make a lot of like you didn't. The Raptors didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, which was You're, smart. You didn't really, which need was to. smart. You didn't have to. There was obviously debate, obviously if Kyle Lowry was going to get trade because there was there was i know before at the beginning of the season he was signed to a one-year uh 31 32 million dollar extension yeah now that was set reported to um i think what i think what really stepped is kyle lowry knew that he was possibly being traded like there was he he probably said so he sent something that if, if i don't step up i'll be on the block and that's why he's really but, stepped but he up. stepped up and he showed masai Ujiri, he said hey don't trade me man i still got it and he has he's averaging at least i believe close to 20 points game which is good for a guy who's his age and obviously a point guard of his size not like not saying size is a big thing but it's like just kyle lowry in general we haven't really known him as a guy who can drop who can who can average 20 season he's averaged like eight like he can average 20 season but consistently having good nights like he dropped 26 the other night against yeah. the warriors um norm pilot dropped 37 so I do think that is a consideration as well. Yeah, and just one last little thing with uh, Gasol is uh, my point going was the fact that you didn't do anything at the deadline, which was smart. But what you're realistically doing is you are getting Gasol for the trade deadline. You are getting yeah. Gasol as a rental and you are saving him for the playoffs, which I think is really smart considering his age and ability. Because right now he is, he's been going on and off. That injury has been nagging him. If you get him fully rested up and ready for the playoffs, come playoff time, if he's in there, if he's back to the way he was, playing uh, playing great defense during in last the paint, year. 
or during last year, yeah. yeah. Uh, if he's doing great in the paint, uh, playing defense, and if he's scoring effectively, I think he is going to be technically your trade deadline acquisition for the playoffs, and I think he is technically going to be very uh, important uh, once we get into that playoff stretch because uh, teams like Philadelphia with Joel, a healthy Joel Embiid, a healthy Joel Embiid, yeah, can be dangerous if you don't have a true center, and I think Gasol is going to be key for that going forward. Already moving on to some other news regarding the game, Curry has dropped twenty. Curry dropped twenty three against the Raptors the other night. The question is, obviously, the Warriors aren't fully healthy. But in my mind, if you look down the road, let's say from a year from now, let's say it started next season, you do have Curry, you have Clay Thompson, you got Andrew Wiggins. My mind is, what does the? My question is, what does the future hold for the Golden State Warriors? We will, we will, will we see another great title run when you have Steph Curry, when you have Klay Thompson, when you have Andrew Wiggins? They're definitely going to need a new center. They're going to need a center or a small forward to replace the the pieces that they lost. They lost Kevin Durant. They lost Andre Iguodala. They lost. Um, well, Draymond Green's still on the team as well. But Draymond Green's not where he is, where where he was. So maybe if you get him going again, get get some development. There's my question is where. Uh, well, where, what does the future hold for the Golden State Warriors? In my mind, I do think if they if they get the healthy players back next year, they add two more pieces, a center and a power forward, be it through free agency or through trading picks and players in the offseason, they can make another easily. They can be a serious contender, and they can win 55-plus games, I think. I am scared for the Golden Golden State Warriors' future, in my opinion. You still have Curry, who, uh, uh, in his return to, uh, from his broken hand, I believe, uh, did uh, uh, have 23 points against the Raptors, which is respectable for a guy coming off injury in limited minutes for uh, for coming back off of a hand injury for a shooter. That's really tough. Um, but you'll obviously have him going forward. Clay. I don't know if his contract is up soon. I don't know anything about that. But either way, he when he's back healthy, if he can perform at the way he was before he got injured, then I think you are golden going forward, ironically. Um, <laughs> if if he's not the same, then I think you might struggle a bit. But you, still, you have Wiggins now who I think... Away from the um, the Minnesota Timberwolves, I think he will do uh, a bit better than people expect. I mean, I still don't think he's going to be what he was originally hyped up to be, but I still think he won't be as bad as people think he's going to be. People think he's going to tank in Golden State. They uh, people think he was not going. Uh, people th think he was not that great in Minnesota. I thought he was a bit better than a lot of people saw, said he was. But either way. Uh, you'll have Draymond Green, who is aging. I don't know where he fits. I don't know if you let him go. We shall see. Um, but big men-wise, you are really missing a big hole in uh, Kevin You need Durant. a center. You need, you center. need a center right now. You and need a big power forward as I am well. scared because I think I know where that's coming. I don't think it's going to be a trade. I don't think it's free agency. They're drafting high this year. They are tanked all season long. They are last in the Western Conference. They're going to draft a center or a power forward in this year's draft it with their be, pick. Yeah. And it's going to be a scary one. And I think I could see James Wiseman. Hmm, I think he could, if they, if they go for James Wiseman, I think this Golden State team is going to be scary in the coming years again. I think this is going to be definitely, this is definitely an off year for them. This yeah. is, this is nothing, <laughs> nothing's changing about that. But going forward, I think Golden State could get back to its regular prowess. Um, with this upcoming draft and if Clay Thompson can get back to the way he was before he got injured. Oh no, I'm definitely I'm definitely saying like it's gonna be a healthy. It's not gonna be like when you're gonna have a banged up uh Clay Thompson as well. I do think there is that possibility as well. Going forward, I do see the Golden State Warriors like you said as well. They could be drafting a center or a power forward early on in the draft or tanking arm. Then you maybe get let's say you draft a center you, and then you draft, and then you get a power forward, or you draft a power forward, and you get a center in the offseason. Whatever the order of the fact is, I do think 
think that the Golden State Warriors can be that like that team to beat again in the Western Conference. Now, then again, you do have now the Clippers, you have the Lakers now that are like well, that are also looking good as well. Like like the, this season has showed us. So even when Golden State goes back up to let's say the top of the mountain, there is going to be someone fighting for that position. Yes, they're gonna there's they're, they're not the top dog anymore. There's some other teams because of their off year. Other teams have benefited because of that. Yes. I think another underrated part of the Golden State Warrior team, though, is the play of Eric Pascal. I think it's Eric Pascal. Uh, Eric Pascal, whatever. The rookie. Uh, the rookie who's been doing really well for them at the power forward position. Really, if you've played a bit of center, played a bit of small forward, either way, he has been very good for them in the absence of a lot of players. He has, uh, he, at the start of the season, he was dropping like 30 points a night. He was doing really well. He had that stretch where he was really hot. Uh, and I think he could be big for them in the future. I think if they can develop him well and... I think if they can build to build him for the future, I think he could be their next Draymond Green replacement. And then if you get a center at the draft, I think you're looking pretty good if you're Golden State, uh, especially if, I mean, you have an aging Draymond. I don't know what they do with him after this season or maybe next because, I mean, he is a very good defensive stalwart, but his scoring has gone down. He just signed a deal with Converse, which I thought was funny. Um, his contract, or... Um, his deal with Converse uh, came with a commercial that was kind of like, oh, um, I may be like this big tough guy that's uh, like been made memes of and I've been like had adversary before, but I'm still like I'm still a family man. I'm still a person, which I thought was in a very bold commercial from Converse. But I was surprised uh, that the Warriors didn't maybe think about trading Draymond Green uh, at the trade deadline because he is getting up there in age. His contract is a bit hefty for, I think, uh, what the Golden State Warriors want. And for a team that was taking, I thought they could have got maybe a bit of value out of, him, uh, out of him, maybe sent him to a team that could use a bit of defensive help. I still think they could deal him in the offseason just because of guys like Eric Pascal, uh, Pascal who could be coming up and could be really effective for them, especially if they do draft a big man in the draft. So going forward, Golden State, I think, is looking really good. Uh, they, I loved the Andrew Wiggins trade for them because, I mean, with Curry and Clay, D'Angelo Russell was not going to have a place for them. And Wiggins kind of, it doesn't fill the shoes completely of Kevin Durant, but at least has somebody there who can step up if they need to. And going He can forward, be the third scoring option in my mind. Exactly. He could be the third scoring uh, option, which KD was probably the first scoring option when he was with them, maybe Curry, whatever. Um, but he can be that third scoring option, and he can be technically, when oh, when nights, uh, when there are nights he is on, he is a third all-star for that team, I think. And uh, like obviously, he has shown signs of inconsistency in the past, but no matter what, I think the Golden State Warriors after this season will be a lot better than people think they're going to be. I think the, uh, the turnaround is going to be very quick after this tanking season. Alrighty, that wraps up our NBA discussion regarding the Raptors clinching their seventh straight postseason berth. And what does the future hold for Golden State? Alrighty, moving on over into our last topic of the day. It's uh, some very sad news today as Henri Richard, who died, who has died at 84. Uh, of course, the Montreal Canadiens legend who won 11, he's 11 times Stanley Cup winner, a Hall of Famer, played for the Montreal Canadiens. He's the brother, of course, of Maurice Richard, of course, who has overshadowed his career. A little but bit, yeah. A little bit, but um, what are your kind of thoughts on this first, of this death as well, of Henri Richard dying? I thought, yeah, it's a, I mean, I think it was just, uh, uh, I don't think anything was going on, like, um, I think health-wise, he was just aging, I think, cause there was nothing kind of, there was no foul player or anything like that. Um, obviously, a legend to the Montreal Canadiens franchise, 
at times overshadowed a bit by his brother Maurice just because of the legend of the Rocket Richard and everything. But uh, Henri Richard, obviously incredible st 11 Stanley Cups with Montreal. Nobody can ever forget that. Uh, he, he had like five, I think he won like five Stanley Cups in a row for a time to start out his career. He was an incredible captain for the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously his number was retired by them and really the Montreal Canadiens obviously have been an incredible team for a long time. And, the reason is because they keep getting players like Maurice and Henri Richard, who really just led this franchise to be as great as it is, led them to those 24 Stanley Cups, and Henri Richard being a part of 11 of them. That yeah. is just one less than half of the Stanley Cups mm -hmm. the team has accumulated over its, I don't know, what is it, like 103-ish years that they've been a team? It's mm -hmm. like they have been around a long time, but... Be being the Stanley Cup winner of almost half of your team's uh, record, like they have the most Stanley Cups of anybody in the NHL, being a part of that team for half of them almost, that is an incredible feat. Henri Richard, while overshadowed, like you said, by his brother Maurice, was still an incredible player. And he will be, he's a Hall of Famer, he was record book player, and he will always be one of the most winning, like one of the wing, winningest athletes in any sport history. And I think that's really respectable. It's very sad to see him go. Definitely. But definitely a inspiration for a lot of players, not only Montreal Canadiens uh, and hockey fans, but also any athlete. Because while you could be, I mean, there wasn't as much of an underdog story being overshadowed by his brother Maurice, but to try to live up to the hype of his brother, right? Because yeah. he was the younger brother and Maurice Richard was an incredible legend for the Montreal Canadiens at the time. Coming into the league and proving that you can still belong while being overshadowed by your bigger brother. He is a Richard, so it does run in the family. Exactly. But the, the skill does run in the family, and I do think, like you said as well, it's kind of hard being that younger sibling to yeah. when your brother is has shown so much to the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, it looks like, but there's, it, it, but it feels like he, there's expectations that you have to live up to, which he really, Henri really stepped up to that challenge playing yeah. for the Canadiens. But I do think that I think he did step into those shoes great. Like he's a he's won the Stanley Cup eleven times. Oh, well, that's what you said, almost half. I believe he was a obviously he's a Hall of Famer as well. And the queer accolades speak for themselves as well. And it's just a really sad day. Obviously, Montreal is going to mourn the loss of a great legend. Um, and I do think that moving forward, I think that Montreal obviously will have some probably big ceremony about it, similar to maybe. Maybe I would say similar to like a Kobe Bryant, not as maybe as major, but I do think that yeah. he is a legend. He was, for, he for was Montreal. very, very important to Montreal and just the entire sport of hockey, like a thousand forty six points, one thousand forty six points in twelve hundred and fifty eight career games. That is a very long career. That is a very lengthy career. And eleven Stanley Cups, man. You have every time you think of Henri Richard, you have to think eleven Stanley Cups in the Montreal Canadiens. That man has uh, was an incredible player for the Montreal Canadiens back in his day uh, back in his day has always been an icon for the franchise and I think he will not only is he immortalized as a Montreal Canadian in their banner and uh, in the Hall of Fame but no matter what he will be a legend for years upon years him and Maurice are easily two of the greatest hockey brothers like any sport brothers mm -hmm. to ever play in at the same time together and i think that's very respectable for Henri.
Definitely. Already moving on into some other news. Of course, uh, the other night, uh, Miko Zibanejad had he scored five goals versus the Washington Capitals, including the overtime winner. So what a feat, obviously, for the young player. And of course, um, what are your kind of thoughts on Mike, Mika Zibanejad as a player? And he's scoring these five goals, including the cap, uh, including against, of course, the overtime winner against the Capitals, and kind of where the Rangers stand as obviously they haven't had the greatest season, no. and it's clearly not going to go any better. But I do think that they do have a lot of promise. And what are your thoughts on maybe the future for the future for um, the New York Rangers? Kind of what it holds with the talent that they have. Because they have a lot of talented players. They have Antarmi Panarin, Mika Zimbic, and Zibinijad as well. Capo Caco. Capo as Capo well. as well. Yeah. So they're what are your thoughts on there? They look. Uh, they had a bit of a shaky start to the season, uh, uh, but they've kind of stepped into the role now. They're t- trying to push for a playoff spot right now. I don't think they'll be able to get in there because it's pretty crowded at the top of the wild card right now. But I think that the Rangers have looked really good this season um, offensively. I mean, defensively, they haven't looked the greatest goaltending-wise. There's been a carousel of goaltenders going through there. It's kind of sad to see Henrik Lundqvist, who hasn't been able to get much playing time, although he has been a legend for the Rangers. But uh, I think uh, uh, this night was really special for Mika Zibanejad. Four goals and then obviously the fifth in overtime. I think the last time I was reading uh, Sportsnet Stats tweeted out uh, that the last time a player scored five goals in a game was also an overtime winner. Uh, or like had four goals in uh, regulation plus the overtime winner, and it was also against the Capitals, ironically. So I found <laughs> that kind of funny. But either way, uh, Mika Zibanejad has been a solid player for the past couple of years, obviously, going around through a few different teams, Stars, Sens, uh, and now has kind of found his place with the Rangers. And he's been doing really well, obviously. And um, he has, I think he like leads the league since All-Star break at goals with like 20. And he's yeah. he's really, uh, I mean, I don't think he's catching Matthews Pasternak or Ovechkin for top of the league for the uh, the Richard Trophy. But I do think he is going to be up there and scoring. I think he's like fifth right now with like 38 goals on the year. He's easily a 40 goal scorer, maybe 45. I don't think 50, but who yeah. knows, obviously. We'll see, maybe. If he's scoring at a five goal a game pace, then who yeah. knows. But <laughs> We'll um, see, maybe. Yeah, maybe he has another five goal game. Maybe, but um, either way, I think this has been an impressive season for Zabitajan, and he's kind of um, through all the kind of distractions going around with obviously the goalie merry go round, and uh, with all everything like the bad start to the season for the Rangers, he's kind of been dragging them to the playoff, like closer and closer to the playoffs since the All Star break, and he's been huge for them down the stretch. I don't think they're going to get in because, like I said, still got like the Hurricanes to pass, Blue Jackets, Islanders. I think like the Metro is wide open right now but it, so it's going to be hard for the rangers to fit in i think but going forward you obviously have a couple young goalies you're switching through right now henrik lundquist who is a great mentor for them i think uh and you have a very young offense in zabinajad kako like you said panarin whom they just signed to a big deal and you got a lot of compete with you and i think if they can build up plus their chris defense, as well plus chris Kreider, who they just yeah, resigned yes there. Uh, I think the Rangers have a pretty pretty good future ahead of them. Obviously, not the start they wanted this season. I think if they have a better start, they could be looking at a wild card position right now. But either way, I think uh, going into next season, they're going to be a team to watch for maybe a wild card position uh, and maybe third place in the Metro. But it's going to be tough, like I said, because this year it's been tough, and next year it's going to be even t- tougher. I think to reach the pinnacle uh, or to reach the playoffs uh, with the strong Metro right could now. Could you see them going? to maybe an Eastern Conference Finals next year if they do. Like, so let's say this okay, let's say this offseason, let's say for whatever reason they get a nice goaltender, be it uh, they draft a, like a, they, they, they trade up for a good goaltender to get like a higher draft pick. 
They get a decent draft uh, goalie. They develop them, or they sign someone in the offseason. Yeah, or another defenseman. Or another there. defenseman as well. They, I think they need to improve their defense overall. Clearly, offense is not a problem. Clearly, offense is not a problem. <laughs> it's though. the defense side that needs yes. to get working on, and maybe the coaching as well a little bit. Maybe so. a bit of the coaching there as well. I could see that. Uh, but if they do pick up a defenseman, I think that they could. I don't think Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think uh, I could see them making it to the playoffs. I don't see them going very far at this point. Um, just because they are a very young team down the road, maybe once Capo Caco gets a bit more development. I mean, but at that point, you still have Zabinajad getting up there, Kreider getting in another country, whatever. Um, you are getting, you have a lot of good young young players right now uh, with the Rangers. Obviously, some of your uh, uh, better players are on the just exiting their prime a bit right now. You still have to figure out what to do with Henrik Lundqvist, but right now the Rangers are in a good spot going forward. They have a nice young team. Capo Caco looks really good. Uh, had a bit of a slow start, but so did all of the Rangers, like I said. Um, but I think, yeah, going forward, this Rangers team could be a possible playoff contender, and I mean, I don't see them winning the Stanley Cup unless they do something drastic as of right now. But in the next coming years, I think they are definitely a candidate to make the playoffs as well as maybe make some noise here and there. Alrighty, that wraps up our NHL discussion regarding Henri Richard's uh, tragic death at the age of 84 and Zbigniew's scoring five goals versus the Capitals. This has been episode 29 of On The Rise Podcast with your host Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website on ontherisepodcast.ca and Instagram at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all our Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.